What's up, everyone? This is Jacob Moses, host of the Not Boring Tech Writer, where in each episode, we teach technical writers a different skill so they can enhance their skill sets, improve their marketability, diversify their career, and ultimately break the stereotype that technical writing is a boring career. This episode's skill, preparing for the future of techcom. As the techcom industry develops, technical writers must embrace a sobering truth that writing and editing documents isn't enough to add value to your organization. So the question is, how do we prepare for the future of techcom so we can ensure we're always adding value to our organizations? Today, our guest, Ted Hudick, programming writer at Microsoft, is going to share his tips on how you can prepare for the future of techcom, including why you should always have a side learning project, why you shouldn't really freak out about tools, and why you should actively build relationships with your colleagues so you can prepare for the future of TechCom. Enjoy. Hey there, Ted. How are you doing today? Hey, hey Jacob. How are you? I'm doing good. Great to be speaking with you. Yes, you as well. We got to got to connect at Right the Docs in Portland and Gosh, for anyone anyone who's listening to this who works in software documentation, I know I probably speak on behalf of Ted as well. Where there's there's no better conference to attend. You're just among like-minded people and getting cutting-edge information and eating little cheesecake squares in between talks. I mean, it's it's phenomenal, and I'm I'm so pumped that we're bringing the conversation back to the podcast, Ted. It's a great program they have at Write the Docs, Jacob. I really enjoyed it, and uh, and I enjoyed meeting you. We, yes. uh, Jacob and I actually met uh, during a hike on the <laughs> first day of Write the Docs. They, they have a hike that goes through, uh, I think it's Washington Park there mm-hmm. in, in Portland, and you get a chance to meet all the diverse uh, tech communicators right out there in uh, the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Yes, but, it was Yeah, remarkable. that was a great conference. I really enjoyed it, and uh, it was great to meet you, and I had no idea you had a podcast until you, uh, you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just I'm just so thankful that you agreed to be a guest. And gosh, I'm I'm pumped for today's topic. I really am. Just just talking about how technical communicators can prepare for the future of techcom. And I think it's funny that whenever we were trying to decide on a title for this um, in our initial call, um, the term anticipating came up. Anticipating for the future of techcom. And as we continued to unpack it more, we, we agreed upon that anticipating isn't enough. You can't just think to yourself, okay, like I understand that there will be a time in my career where I need to learn more tools. And when that time comes, okay, like I'll, I'll take those steps. But you have to be actively preparing for when that time does come, have the right mindset, have the right tools. So I'm really excited that we're going to be kind of hitting on that side of the future of TechCom. It's going to be a good chat. I am as well. This, this should be a great talk. So, Ted, let's start with your story because I, I, I truly think that you're, you're a great example of someone who has been preparing for the future of TechCom, whether that was whenever you weren't even in the discipline and then now that you are seeing the future, learning the tools, having the right mindset. So I'd love for you to start just telling us your story. Yeah, well, I, I've always just kind of pursued interesting things and one thing has led to another. Um, I used uh, used computers a lot as a kid 
Um, I had an Apple II back in the old days and uh, <laughs> learned to program basic and was pretty nerdy, like going through high school. Uh, but then I got to college and I didn't really use computers a whole lot. And I got a degree in economics and French. It's a nice combo. Wasn't really, wasn't really thinking a whole lot about the, the future. Um, was just kind of following my passions. And then I, I wound up, um, I decided to pr pursue a master's in French literature, uh, of all, all things. Um, so I did that at the University of Virginia. And uh, one, one thing I've always done is kind of uh, pursued a side interest while I'm doing the main thing. And so when I was studying French, I discovered that um, I had access to the university's Unix computers. And so I started playing around with Unix and, and learning that while I was studying French. So a couple years went by, I had my master's in French, and then uh, kind of discovered that I was at a competitive disadvantage for getting a job because, you know, you pretty much need a PhD in French and the people who were going on for a PhD were, uh, you know, kids of French parents and kids who had a lot more French background than me. So uh, I found myself working at the Fine Arts Library at the University of Virginia where uh, I would work at the checkout desk and actually study computer science because... I kind of got back in touch with computers at that point, wound up taking some undergrad classes in computer science, and uh, then I went for a master's in computer science, um, where I, I went to Ohio State. And then uh, while I was do doing that, I took uh, German classes. So it's just like, you know, I've always pursued kind of an interesting side thing while I've been doing the main thing. Coming out of Ohio State, I got a job consulting, which was okay, but I was looking for something where I could stay a little bit more local. So I stayed in touch with some folks that I'd met in the computer science grad program, one of whom had come to Microsoft. And uh, she said, we need some tech writers here. And I said, what's that? <laughs> very, very uh, little information about what, what tech writers do. Um, but I, I came out and um, that was about 15 years ago. So I've been working at Microsoft now, um, 16 actually, I've been working here since 2000. I love it. And, and, it, and it, it's a testament to like, when, when do we get the opportunity to prepare for the future? And I think that really comes from what you hit on. And that's, that's pursuing side interests. Yes, you may have like your formal nine to five, but depending on the organization, that may, that might not be enough to really discover new skills and find out actually what you want to pursue in the future. Mm -hmm. And I love how you were you doing computer science on the side. And then here we are 15 years later. And you're a program writer at Microsoft. Yeah, that's that would be one of my main tips. Would be always always have a side learning project, you know, and and make it something where you can actually try stuff out and, and learn by doing. You know, when I was playing around with Unix, you know, I'd actually go in and try to program stuff and, and write scripts and uh, actually make stuff happen. Yeah. So you came in at Microsoft, and were you initially just doing the very traditional role of the tech writer just just writing and editing documents what did what is your time initially at microsoft look like well it's funny um i've i've kind of been in the same area i've been writing um windows driver docs the whole time hmm. but i've kind of moved around in different technologies within that so initially um i had kind of the newbie project which was uh renovating our, the readmes that uh each each driver sample has a readme file so I came in and they said, uh, we have all these readmes and they're really old, so maybe you can, maybe you can update them. And that was cool because I got to actually meet like a lot of a lot of different people on product teams. Awesome. So it was a good way to kind of diversify my network a little bit. And then 
at what point or, or has this I'm sure this time has come where the role of the tech writer you you weren't called to solely write and edit documents there there must have been a shift in there when you were called to get more involved in programming languages um, when did that shift come and and how, how did you handle it well that's a good question I guess just as I started writing the the actual um, API documentation. You know, I was kind of forced to, to get enlisted in the source, um, Windows source, become more proficient in C and, and C++. You know, I'd, I'd set up code projects myself and actually try to play around with the code a little bit, step through it in the debugger. I think anything you can do that's hands-on. Um, we actually had a uh, kind of a virtual team here one time where we, um, you know, everybody was actually doing hands-on coding of, of drivers for the team. Like the rule of, of the team was that you actually had to do hands-on coding. It wasn't a, just writing about it or talking about it, but you actually had to, to show some code. Very good. Yeah, so we, we, we established one action item to really preparing for the future of TechCom, and it was it's always pursuing something on the side. It's like not, not restricting yourself to what you're doing for your, your formal job. Pursue something on the side. And then you got into Microsoft, a lot of writing and editing. And let's, let's take a shift. So we're really seeing that writing and editing isn't enough to really ensure your spot as a tech writer in the future. We're being called to do much more like symbolic analytic work, really just rethinking how we manage, reconfigure, and really just customize information for different audiences, different media. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think the future of techcom looks like and some some action items a particular mindset that you think technical communicators should adopt today to ensure that they still have a job five plus years from now yeah jacob i think that's a great great question i think i think the the writer's job is becoming more about synthesizing content Mm -hmm. you know where you're you're actually combining things into a coherent whole like I frequently find that I'm trying to, to tie together all these these little bits and put them in a in a useful um, organization that'll actually help someone accomplish a task. You know, maybe you're uh, tying together high level scenarios, and then there's also that as a as a content specialist, you're, you're probably wearing a lot of different hats. You're building some tools. Maybe you're um, doing some of the coding for for samples. Maybe you're actually getting the content up on the web. First of all, you have to be able to, to synthesize and pull content together and organize it effectively. And then you kind of have to know the whole content life cycle from writing it and, and iterating on it internally and then publishing it externally. And I think that's where technical communicators have just an incredible advantage and where they can really prove their value to their organization because we're generalists and we're not deeply invested in dev. We're not deeply invested in QA. However, we have our hands in everything. We have we have that general that general theme of the organization. And that's why I think I think knowledge management mm-hmm. is gonna be huge. I mean, right now and then in the future, because I think we're the only ones in the organization who really do understand the content as a whole, whether that's internal or external content. And like you said, being able to to synthesize and pull little pieces of content, I, I really think that's where we're gonna shine. Um, as maybe the traditional tech writing role kind of diminishes. Yeah, I completely agree. I really like how you put that. So it's like writing is, is no longer sufficient. You have to be able to kind of be the bridge between a lot of different areas. One thing I've, I've been thinking about, and they we, we heard a presentation about this at Write the Docs, 
is the idea of minimum viable documentation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where you have something that's good enough and you push it out and then you iterate on it if needed. And this is facilitated by our, our new capacity to publish instantly. And there's also the idea of, of just-in-time documentation, which is kind of similar in that you're just writing the documentation that customers need right now and getting that out to them. So it's it's kind of a more immediate, you know, it, it used to be 10 years ago, we'd, you know, we'd spend months writing stuff for the next rev of Windows. And then all of a sudden, one day, we'd, we'd push it all out. Now it's a lot more iterative and immediate. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like what you see across the, the, the industry, right? I mean, if you work at the, the New York Times, you're probably doing a lot more blogging or maybe you push some information out on Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, to get what's needed out the door, even if it's in a, a rough format. And then you can expand and collaborate, you know, if you need to. Yeah, because, I mean, we're, we're in a support economy. It, we can't just mass produce things anymore and just hope that the or expect the customer um, to use it I mean and that's going back to the the minimal viable product and just-in-time documentation I mean it's being dictated by the customer mm-hmm. I mean we're we're creating content just to give them some direction and then it's it's iterated it's expanded based on the actual customer's feedback and gosh I think that's just gonna continue to develop undoubtedly yeah, the the whole notion of, of using GitHub and having uh, having customers, you know, collaborate right there in the docs, mm-hmm. and you know, to be able to have a uh, a conversation right there in the context of a pull request, I think, just gives us a lot more flexibility than we've had before. I completely agree. Well, Ted, let let's talk about tools. Um, I really liked the conversation we had before this call, and just talking about the right mindset you should have with tools because I think especially a lot of people who are new into techcom really worry about tools. It's like, okay, I have to know the Adobe Creative Suite. I have to know whatever else. But I don't necessarily think that there's a prescribed list of tools mm-hmm. that we have to learn, but more so, and that's what we'll hit on now, it's it's more of a mindset and understanding when and how to learn that tool. Right. Um, and you have a great example that I'd love for you to love for you to expand on yeah well that's a great question thank you for asking um i would i would say this i was talking before about always having a side learning project i think among the first things that that you need to acquire as far as tools when you when you start your your tech communicator career is find out what your swiss army knife is going to be that's what i'll call it Mm -hmm. um you need something that you can use like for Automation for scripting, uh, PowerShell is my particular passion. Um, but you know, it could be Perl, it could be Python. But I kind of got into PowerShell for you know some small task that I needed five six years ago, and then I had another automation scenario, and I thought, well, maybe I could write a script to do that. And you know, so I keep adding little little bits and pieces to my knowledge of PowerShell and. By this point, I, I have a library of, of my own, you know, help routines and, and automation scripts that I've written that, that I can dig into and piece together. And uh, it kind of, it's kind of a superpower. Like it enables me to do things that I would not have imagined, you know, before. And just, and, and I love that, just that, that mindset behind it and the motivation to learn PowerShell. There, there's a problem statement 
um, it's like I had I had this issue, therefore I learned this tool. Yeah, um, and I think that can really help not feel not have tech writers feel so overwhelmed about like tools that they have to learn in the future, but more so look at your own. What are your problem statements? Right. What are you encountering? And then learn a tool to help solve that problem. Right. So Ted, let's let's talk about the value of just building relationships with your colleagues and how those relationships can help technical communicators prepare for the future. I mean, we we started this podcast just showing love to the Write the Docs conference. And that's because it gave us an opportunity just to meet awesome fellow tech writers and to to share ideas and share perspectives and share share expertises and Gosh, I can't think of a better way to stay relevant and to be prepared for the future than just to be in continuous conversation with fellow technical communicators. You know, Jacob, that's really a great, great topic. Um, but one of the things that uh, that I like to ask people is uh, just kind of a random question, but I ask people, how did you get started with that? Hmm. Like when they're telling you about something cool that they're doing or, you know, hey, studying this or it could be could be anything. Just uh, it's kind of a great line of questioning that that can help you discover cool things. Um, one cool thing about tech writers is is the array of backgrounds that they come from. So typically, when you ask that, you get some pretty interesting answers. Another question I like to ask people is, "What should I learn next?" That's a good one. I actually asked uh, Eric Holscher that. He's the the organizer of Write the Docs, and uh, he came back with Lector and Swagger. Um, which I've actually not had time to investigate yet, but are on my list of things to, to look up. Because like the same things that they're learning might help you too, or lead you to a solution that you can use, right? Because we're all facing the same higher level problems as tech writers. So like there's a lot of built-in common ground. Yep. And I, and I love that first question, like where did this come from? Because you, you can you understand like, like like the full spectrum. Yeah. And then it's often, I mean, just, just that simple little little icebreaker question that really gets the conversation going. And then once you understand each other's backgrounds, like you said, it's, you can dig a little deeper and say like, I can tell like you, you know, your stuff, like, do you have any advice? What should I learn next? And then as that conversation continues, I mean, then you can reciprocate and give your own, your own insights later on. I love that, Ted. Yeah. A couple other ideas I'd throw out for building relationships with your, your fellow tech writer. Um, we're really, really anyone, any colleague. One thing is the value of, uh, of the occasional lightweight ping, right? Like people you might not have seen in a while, grab a coffee, you know, drop them a line on social media. One thing I like to do is track people's birthdays. You know, you can wish them a pop up and wish them a happy birthday. Hmm. It'll surprise them. Yeah. And just checking in and saying hello. And that's, that's something powerful that um, Eric hit in episode five in this podcast. It's, it's not to think of these relationships as like a, a transactional relationship. I do something for you. You do something for me. Right. But it's just it's just very good natured. And that's right. Just, just popping in a light ping, just saying like, hey, how are you? Let's get coffee. Happy birthday, if it's applicable. Right. <laughs> um, but just staying on each other's radars and just, just keeping that constant conversation is is huge. One thing I enjoy is, you know, just learn a little bit about people's families or their hobbies. Um, how about this? On today's Monday, ask, uh, on Monday, ask if people had a good weekend. Yeah. Like even, even with something so simple, you'll be surprised at what, what you get. You're building that rapport. And so we talked about the Write the Docs conference. I mean, do you have any other suggestions where listeners can, can find fellow technical communicators and start to build these relationships? 
Uh, well, Twitter is one that, that I've kind of been trying to grow into. Um, Twitter is, there's kind of a surprisingly deep dynamic for something that sounds so simple on the surface, but you get some, the result is you just get some really interesting interactions with people. One, one thing that I've been, uh, I've been applying since I met you, Jacob, is, uh, is the power of just asking. Yep. You know, even if someone, you know, is a big name or a VIP, you know, if you have a question or, you know, want to ask their opinion, just ask. And yeah. that's something that, that you can do easily on Twitter. To, you don't have to be connected both ways to just ask somebody something. That's exactly right. And and people, I mean, in my experience, are so willing to share their expertise. I mean, if you if you come with the right approach, it's like maybe like propose your problem statement or what you're trying to learn and how you see something in them that like you want to strive for. You want to get to that level of expertise or whatever it might be. And if you propose the question correctly, like people seem to be down to give that feedback. Yeah. And that kind of connects to another thing I've, I've thought, which is, you know, bounce your ideas off people, mm-hmm. you know, say, hey, I wanted to get your opinion about this idea that I had. Yeah, it's that it's that concept of design thinking, not just thinking that only you only have what's in your mind and then keeping it in there until you have a final product and then finding out that people aren't really into it. But if you're if you're sharing your idea along the ways and getting those different perspectives and gosh, that all goes back to just having those relationships with technical communicators and as they have their experiences and you have yours and the combination of the two i think really prepares the technical communicator for the future just that constant conversation of just being relevant right well i'd also say once you've gone to the trouble of learning something cool pay it back Mm. you know teach what you've learned yeah right you'll you'll likely feel like an imposter um expect that and and go ahead and do it anyway you know and then uh once you've done that a few times Hey, present at a conference. I tried that one out myself recently. Yeah, and rocked it. I write the dogs. A few months before, my manager said, you should give a talk. So, <laughs> so on my list of goals for the next few months, right, because we keep you know, a little list like that, Yeah. Um, I put, consider submitting a proposal for write the docs. Mm-hmm. I, I sent it to my manager. He crossed out consider and changed it to submit. <laughs> I, <was laughs> I like, love it. Do I have to? But like, as soon as I decided that I was going to do it, I realized that I could do it. And, of course, it was still somewhat terrifying, but also completely exhilarating. I yeah, and, and you did a wonderful job. And, and I love that story, Ted, because like, you want to have even considered, or it sounds like you want to have considered speaking, but you had this little nudge from your manager. And, you're, and then once you started that conversation, you're like, okay, like, this is something I can do. And that undoubtedly boosted your career. Power of the nudge is is uh, is important, you know. I kind of had this idea in the back of my head that maybe I could, but I don't know if I actually would have done it. But sometimes, and sometimes you can play that role for someone else, where you kind of give them a nudge. As as I'm trying to nudge you to present it right the docs next year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm uh, thinking about it. <laughs> um, you know, which which kind of connects us to telling stories. Yeah. Right. Like we're all storytellers and especially tech writers, mm-hmm. right? Everybody loves a good, a good story. So, um, I've enjoyed, I've st- actually st- like studied storytelling. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting to see how stories are put together and, and what makes a good story work. Yes, undoubtedly. And, that, and then tying that story back in with, with what you do, um, as a, as a technical com- communicator, I mean, just makes your story all the more intriguing and the more applicable to fellow tech writers. Here's another one. Um, never have lunch alone. Mm. 
<laughs> I like Occasionally that. Occasionally you have to, but but most of the time, you know, um, get a recurring lunch on the calendar with with key people, and then add new people to the to your lunch mix periodically. You know, we all have to eat, and you know, you can actually consider it work time if you're actually you know getting to know someone or figuring out what their approach is to some work problem that that you've had. Yeah, I love that. And we had we had Neil Kaplan on the podcast too. And we were talking about bridging the gap between documentation support. And it, it's it's awesome, Ted, because he shared that same testament where, I mean, just, just get up out of your desk and like like spend some time with people, have some conversation, have lunch together. That's the best way to start that relationship. Exactly. Doesn't doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a big formal thing. In fact, it's a lot better if you just start lightweight. You know, when when you're in a meeting, say something. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, you may be sitting in a meeting, time may be going by, your mind is drifting, you haven't said anything. You know, challenge yourself to say one thing, no matter how short a comment it may be. Yeah. Right? You may be you may be surprised how it pulls you in and helps you connect. I love that. And then and then going back to some of the platforms where people can start these relationships, we talked about Twitter and another great one that comes to mind is the Write the Docs Slack room. Um, yep. which we'll I'll put in the show notes. Um but that's just a great place where constant conversation is happening and you can you can drop in a question you can give feedback i mean it's i think of all the places if you if you can't make it to the conference to have that daily conversation there's no better place than that right the doc slack room yeah you know jacob i've really been impressed with how the right the docs slack channel has continued even after the conference right mm-hmm. the conference is in may and here we are late in june and uh you know there's still a lot of activity there yeah, there's there's the channel, and then gosh, the local meetups. Even um, I think there might be fifteen or twenty um, across the U.S. There's a jobs board as well. So if you're looking for a job, you can you can join that channel and check it out. Yeah, all kinds of great resources, and tech writers are are just such a friendly bunch in general. They are. Um, they really are. You know, and like it's it's interesting that we're you know I mentioned this earlier, but we're all sort of trying to solve the same problems mm-hmm. like in our own way at our own company. So, you know, something you may you may think you're facing alone, odds are pretty high that you're not. And if you ask what kind of approaches people have used in a venue like the Write the Docs channel, you might get some great answers that could help. Yeah, and just and like you said, don't don't fear just just to speak up. Yep. Whether it's in that meeting or you you find yourself in a massive room of technical communicators in Portland, Oregon, like like you said, it is just a delightful bunch, and everyone's there just trying to just have conversation and get to know one another and and help. And that's just the beauty of our our discipline. It's it's niche. There's not a lot of us, but golly, when we gather and start talking, uh-huh. I mean that's. It's powerful. There's great stuff happening. Yep. Completely agree. Well, Ted, just thank you so much for for taking the time to chat with me today about just how technical communicators can prepare for the future of TechCom. We we covered a lot of great action items and I I really hope the listener feels encouraged and and just ready to to, to take it on cuz it's it's not too scary. <laughs> you bet, Jacob. And uh, you know, even for those in the audience who may not be in tech writing today, consider it it's it's a great opportunity of being able to mix the the humanities and the technical yeah that's a good point um it's really unique it's kind of a, a unique bridge career where you can do both of those things not everyone can do both and you know we need the folks who can 
and whenever things get tricky there there's people willing willing to help you that's right you speak up and say hey like i i see that you're good at this can you help me out a bit exactly and they're they're going to be down you know speaking of asking thank you jacob for asking me to be on your podcast i really enjoyed it it's always a pleasure of course of course it was a pleasure to get to know you in portland and now we get to get to keep the conversation going and with the theme of the end of our podcast i know we'll we'll keep it going beyond that's right and uh you know everyone should come to write the docs next year and listen to jacob give a presentation oh golly (laughs) (laughs) i gotta get a gotta get a running note card of themes going but that's right gosh i i appreciate the encouragement yeah yeah you bet if 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 anyone wants to connect with you further um where can people find you on the internet twitter is probably the best way um i'm at ted hudek t-e-d-h-u-d-e-k um yeah, just give me a shout out there. I'd be glad to chat with anybody. Beautiful. Well, Ted, thank you again, man. Great great chatting once more, and we'll reconnect again soon. Thanks, Jacob. Really enjoyed it.